A hearty hello and welcome to you. This is the Bar Southeast Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Blevins. Carolina Hurricanes headed to the great white north of Montreal to take on the Canadiens on a quick road trip. Things started off well for Carolina. Andrei Svechnikov opened the scoring in the second period, but Matthew Pekka would tie things up midway through the period at 1. Jeff Petrie would give Montreal a 2-1 lead, 16-59, into the middle frame. However, Andrei Svechnikov would claw the Hurricanes back, starting an offensive explosion in the third period. Svechnikov scored his second of the game and eighth of the season, only to be answered by Brendan Gallagher, who scored 45 seconds into the third period. Arturi Lekkinen gave Montreal a two-goal lead, 14-22 into the third period, on a superb individual effort. Carolina fought back, though. Jacob Slavin scored on a feed from Phil DiGiuseppe to make it 4-3, only to be answered by Andrew Shaw, who gave the Canadiens a 5-3 lead. Sebastian Ajo capitalized on a feed from Tavo Teravainen late in the third period, making it 5-4 and a tight hockey game. But Jeff Petrie scored his second of the game and seventh of the season on a 200-foot shot down the ice into an empty net, securing the victory for the Canadiens 6-4. <laughs> If you were to ask my opinion, this is the most frustrating game this season so far. Because for the Carolina Hurricanes, everything that went wrong in this hockey game is attributable to the same basic theme. And we will talk about what that basic theme is, along with some of the positives you take out of the 6-4 loss to the Montreal Canadiens after we give you our trivia question. Trivia question for this episode is, Yanni Kuokinen played for the Carolina Hurricanes tonight after being called up from Charlotte. He wore the number 59 uniform. Who was the last Carolina Hurricanes player to wear number 59? We'll have the answer for you at the end of the show. If you want to talk about that basic theme that caused everything to go downhill tonight for Carolina... It was a lack of completeness. There are moments in any sporting event where you were going to have breakdowns. For the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, there were numerous breakdowns at inopportune times, and it was costly. That's one that as a coach... And as a player, you're going to go back into the film room tomorrow morning or whenever you get an opportunity to look at what happened in this hockey game, and it's going to be very evident what happened and where the breakdowns were. And here's the issue with it. This was a sloppy hockey game from the Montreal Canadiens as well. And you get that in middle-of-the-week games in the NHL. And you're going to see a lot more hockey games like this on the horizon. Great hockey teams find ways to minimize breakdowns through the dog days of the season. They just do. If you look back at the Stanley Cup championship team 
from 2006. That was a Hurricanes team that twice went on a nine-game winning streak. Still the franchise record, if I'm not mistaken. Nine-game winning streak twice in that one season under Peter Laviolette. This is a Hurricanes team that just can't find a way to go on a streak. For whatever reason, unless it's catching L's. And Justin Williams, I thought, showed superior leadership in his post-game press conference after the loss to Toronto and Raleigh, and he talked about the Carolina Hurricanes middling. They were a middling team that needed to go on a streak, needed to go on a string, I believe is the word he used, needed to catch a string, and, and the effort wasn't there from everybody. And I think that is a legitimate honest assessment of what happened against Toronto. Tonight, I thought the effort was there. But I thought you really got a great peek at the troublesome youthfulness and inexperience of the Carolina Hurricanes at times, but I also think that there was one key player that had his worst game of the season so far, and that was Justin Falk. And Canes fans have every right to be frustrated with Justin Falk at times. That time hasn't been this season. He's been a stalwart on defense for Carolina so far this year. And that's good, because that's a guy that is trying to make a name for himself. He was twice the pity all-star that represented the Carolina Hurricanes because the Carolina Hurricanes had to have a representative in the all-star game. Now, he's not going to be that guy anymore. So he's got to be able to work to be a solid night-in, night-out NHL defenseman. And much to his credit, for the large majority of the season, he has. But tonight, it was an absolute travesty of blue line play. First goal that Jeff Petrie scores, which came late in the second period, is a direct result of Falk's turnover. He's trying to clear the puck up the far side boards, doesn't utilize the boards, instead tries to go straight out. It's knocked down by a Canadian, and I don't remember right off the top of my head who it was, who slides it across to Petrie, who scores on a beautiful shot. you got to tip your cap to him at that point. But that's one. Andrei Svechnikov bails you out. Then the team goes and trails again. Lekanen gets behind the defense. And that's one that you're going to go, oh boy. And then, as soon as Jacob Slavin puts you in a position where you've got eight, nine minutes to work with to tie the hockey game, puck goes to Montreal in their defensive zone. And they're going to break it out Falk's side. Falk, along with all three forwards, gets sucked down into the attacking zone. And after Falk hit the neutral zone, he was toast. Pass goes out to the far side wing. Andrew Shaw blows by everybody. And Justin Falk is three steps behind him. That's one where either Falk has gotten too invested in the offensive game and getting sucked down below the blue line and below the top of the faceoff circle and doesn't have the leg speed to be able to get back at this point. 
or he is so incredibly misguided on a pinch or out of position that Andrew Shaw is able to get behind him. And Shaw's a good hockey player. He's a fast little guy. He's a little pest. He's not necessarily your greatest skill player, but he's an asset if he's on your team. And you do tip your cap to him for making the smart play, but that's one that if the puck is coming back out of the zone, you've got to get on your horse and you've got to support your defensive partner there. And it didn't happen. Two direct errors from Justin Falk that lead to Montreal Canadian goals tonight. Let's talk about the goaltending. Peter Morozik, similar to the fate of Curtis McElhaney, got shelled tonight. And I think what you're seeing out of Peter Morozik is a little bit of mediocrity. Everybody got invested in McElhaney because he's a great story. He's 35 years old, and he he was the hottest player in a Carolina uniform there for a while. And ultimately is directly responsible for a handful of wins for this Hurricanes team. Mrazek, coming off of the injury, I think is still trying to find his way a little bit. Made some good saves. And certainly when you look at the quality of opportunities that Montreal got against Carolina tonight, he came up with a couple of giant saves. But at the same time, I thought his hands were a little quiet tonight. I didn't think he was very active in the upper body at all. He's always had outstanding footwork and movement. And twice tonight, he got caught going side to side, which is a rarity for him. And I think for him, you just kind of chalk that up to, uh, ho-hum, tough. Didn't have his best game tonight. Didn't have his worst game tonight. But this is also going to put you in that ever-dreaded situation, if you're Rod Brindamore, of what do I do with my goaltender tomorrow on a back-to-back? Because as we have discussed on this program before, somewhere in the last 18 years of hockey, it has become a cardinal sin to have a goaltender start back-to-back games on back-to-back nights. I grew up in the age of Dominic Hasek, Curtis Joseph, Grant Fuhrer, Martin Brodeur, Patrick Waugh. Pick your favorite goaltender who would play... 70 games as an NHL number one. That meant going on back-to-back nights. And we're not in that day and age anymore. McElhaney's on the shelf. So guess whose favorite red-bearded wonder is back up in the NHL again? You guessed it! Scott Darling. I paused just so I could enjoy the, the groans that I'm sure you all had. Because this is the reality the Hurricanes live in. And having spoken with the people I know around the sport and having had the very serious conversation about goaltending time and time again with junior coaches in the area and well-respected goaltending minds, the Hurricanes are in a position where you've got to keep all three of these guys. You can't just ship one off and hope for the best. Can't do it! Because McElhaney's been hurt, Darling's been hurt, and Mrazek's been hurt. And at least for the remainder of this season, you've got to keep all three of them because all three of them are caliber enough to survive in the NHL. I personally do not believe that Scott Darling is starter quality, night in, night out, NHL number one. I personally don't believe that Mrazek is your strongest candidate for starting number one NHL goaltender. 
I also don't believe that McElhaney at 35 years old is going to be able to stand up to a substantial workload. This is a guy who's used to playing between 15 and 20 games in the NHL. And ostensibly, based on what's been going on, the Hurricanes are going to ask him to play a minimum of 30. That, that math doesn't add up. And it's starting to reflect on the Hurricanes at this point because you look at Carey Price coming into this game for Montreal and he's got 11 wins, 8 losses. And now he's got 12 wins and 8 losses. He's playing a substantial amount of time for the Montreal Canadiens. We saw this a couple of years ago with Cam Talbot in Edmonton where Cam Talbot just strap them on and go. Jonathan Quick can do it when he's healthy. Henrik Lundqvist has been able to do it when he's healthy. Roberto Luongo is the guy in Florida. I mean, there there are still creatures out there who play net, who can play 60 to 65 games, and the Hurricanes don't have one of them. And this does a couple of things for you. First of all, whoever is backstopping your team carries a very distinct and definite personality that kind of rubs off on the team. The Hurricanes have not wanted to play in front of Scott Darling. It is uninspired. It is lackluster. It's slow. And it looks a little bit lethargic. Well, look at the way Scott Darling approaches. He's not a hands-at-B position guy or a position guy. He's a little lanky and limbery. And he hadn't stopped pucks. So what do you expect? Peter Mrazek is kind of like an old shoe at this point. Where it's comfortable, it feels right. We we know beyond most reasonable doubt we've got a guy back there who can stop the puck, but it's not inspired hockey. It's it's just kind of the going through the motions thing. And you can get behind that for a time. You can make it through December, January, and February like that if you've got the outright skill or talent or chemistry, which at this point Carolina does not have. But it feels very machine-like. And Curtis McElhaney comes out here, he's a little more wild, a little more erratic, some cause for heartburn and concern with rebound control on occasion. But, He's the guy who has been able to spurn the Hurricanes to playing the most inspired and honestly most entertaining brand of ice hockey. Plain and simple as that. It doesn't take a genius for that analysis, but you do have to understand and take it from a guy who's played the position, take it from Matt Forslund who's played the position, and Ford Hatchett who has close relationships with goaltenders as his defensemen. I mean, there's a definite mood that gets set by the guy who's standing in the blue paint. Now let's move to the forwards. I thought Carolina played as well as could be expected at the forward position tonight without a couple of major players. I can't tell you when Jordan Stahl is going to be back. Concussions are a strange animal, and you have to be very careful with them, especially in this day and age. You've got to be. I don't know when Michael Furland is going to come back. I know he made the trip, and you would certainly hope he gets the chance to go against Washington tomorrow, but... After what happened against Toronto, you are going to be especially cautious about not sending him back into action too soon. 
those two guys, regardless of your assessment of their play so far, are two catalysts of the Hurricane offense. I tend to believe that Jordan Stahl is heading into the twilight of his career. Seems to be a step slower than some of the younger guys. But he's a leader. He's been here before. And he's played on this team for a considerable amount of time at this point. Michael Furland is a breath of fresh air. He plays the game hard with an edge and a physical presence and has put the puck in the back of the net for the Hurricanes this year. It's awesome. But regardless of what individual attributes these guys have, it still stands alone that you are going to play games without them. The Canes finally got a little bit of chemistry going, and the best news for anybody in Carolina was look at the guy who had the pair of goals tonight. That was Andrei Svechnikov. I don't believe he's going to win Rookie of the Year. I'm not going out on a limb by saying he's not going to win Rookie of the Year this year. He's not going to win the Calder Trophy. But I am telling you that what that means for this organization is you've got a guy who, with reasonable expectation, is going to be able to make an impact in the immediacy. That's great. Because Svechnikov is one of those guys at this point, hopefully, that you can develop into a guy who can do that a little bit more often. Eight goals in a rookie season to start things off is good. You would mark it down in Sharpie that he's going to hit 10 this year. I'd be confident in saying he's going to hit 20 this year. If he goes anywhere above the 25 goal total, though, you can consider that a building on the performance he had tonight. Because this was good for him. This is good stuff. And the Hurricanes are majorly lacking a true goal-scoring finisher. Svechnikov is young, learning the offense, and learning the game at this level still. But the positive things that I saw from him tonight, with and without the puck, were outstanding. Sebastian Ajo, back onto the score sheet for Carolina this evening. Good to see him make that play. And that was that was fun to watch him make that play for a handful of reasons. Primarily, is he scored that goal before he ever touched the puck. Ajo comes curling in through the neutral zone, cutting right across the ice, and gets to the open space. And I'll go back to my days of playing this game under head coach Mike Lappin, where we talk about there are two things you have to create in hockey to be successful. And that is time, and that is space. And one typically goes hand-in-hand with the other, and we call that correlation. That is a wonderful play that Ajo makes to get to the open space, give himself a half second to be able to make the play that he makes, which is speeding right around the Canadian defenseman. He goes in on Carey Price with not a ton of pressure coming from either side of him, cuts back across, gets Price to bite, and elevates it over his leg pad. He schooled a world-class goaltender there on that move, and it wasn't any type of fancy sports center top 10 thing either. It's just a good, clean play that he made better than anybody else. He's got every right to be pumped up about it, too. Puts the Hurricanes back in a situation where they're trailing by one at that point. And the good news is, I thought you saw a little bit of fight left in Carolina tonight. They did not start this game off well. And they still got outshot by Montreal. But it was bad in the beginning. As in, Carey Price could have very easily 
been sitting there in the 12-degree Montreal weather, sipping his turvis full of choose-your-favorite French-Canadian coffee, and it wouldn't have made a difference. But in the third period especially, the Hurricanes came on strong again. Wasn't strong enough. Too many breakdowns. But it was good to see that the offense came to play and put more pucks in the net tonight. Because I'd be willing to say that on any individual night, and if they were playing probably 23 other teams in the league, except for Montreal tonight, they'd probably come out of here with a victory. But it still remains that the Hurricanes have only secured three standings points in their last six games. That's scary. So there are some positives to take away from this evening's contest, but you do need to temper them and understand exactly what happened. Now, what's coming down the pipe is a different story because now the Hurricanes once again have done that thing where they're going to put pressure on themselves to secure 70 to 80% of points in a homestand, and that's not exactly where you would like to be at this stage in the season. Now let's go ahead and take a look at what is coming down the pipe for Carolina before we head into 2019. Tomorrow night, and we will be there in person, the Hurricanes take on the Washington Capitals 7.30 p.m. puck drop as the Hurricanes will be in their black uniforms. And they have done very well in black so far this season. Then you've got a weird one, and... The reason I say this is a weird one is you're not playing the greatest of all opponents, and you're also going to be competing with the other team in the state that is middling as well, being the Carolina Panthers. you got to take on the Arizona Coyotes at 1 p.m. on Sunday. I'll be real honest with you. I'm not sure what the crowd is going to be like for that game, and I'm not sure how much energy you're going to be able to garner from them. This is one of those just oddball hockey games that not a lot of people like to play and you normally get about two or three of them every year and you just got to grind it out. It's it's weird that you're going to go play at 7 and 7.30 during the week and you get to Sunday and you play at 1 and you play at 5. It's hard to play those games. Nonetheless, you got to do it. Then you're going to get a three-day break, come back on Thursday the 20th and take on the Detroit Red Wings, Carolina Hurricanes homegrown series. Let me tell you, I'm excited for that game if for no other reason than the Cheerwine float is going to be there. That's worth the price of admission right there. I don't care if the Red Wings win 10 to nothing. You put Cheerwine in ice cream, you put Cheerwine anywhere, I'm there. Pittsburgh Penguins roll in Saturday the 22nd, and then you go back-to-back, and you got the Hartford Whalers game on the 23rd, 5 p.m. against the Boston Bruins. That'll be fun. On the road against Washington, on the road against New Jersey, and you come home to take on the Philadelphia Flyers to wrap up 2018. And then you're going to get into a weird little streak where you're going to touch base and play at home on every Friday, except for the 25th in January. But other than that, the only other home game you have is a 12.30 p.m. puck drop 
on the 13th of January against Nashville. And just looking at it, that's eight road games in the month of January. So, to sum up all of that information I just gave you, if the Hurricanes are going to be considered a serious contender by the time we end this calendar year, it takes seven, preferably eight points in this homestand. And the real way to get that to happen is to start off with a victory against the Washington Capitals, who, oh, by the way, are in your division! It, it was always a point of pride for me in the NHL that under the old system, divisional play was not nearly as important as it is in baseball, football. It, it, it's not. You know, you won the division, you get to go to the playoffs, but there were essentially five wild card teams, and that was great because it really, beyond all shadow of a doubt, I think, made sure the best teams got in the playoffs. Well, now that's not necessarily the case. As long as you can grind it out in your division, as long as you can grind it out in your division, you're going to be sitting pretty. And you've got a couple of those coming up. Notably, Washington, Pittsburgh, Washington again, New Jersey again. Those are eight big points, two at home, two on the road, that are screaming down the pie patch at this point. Games of consequence down the stretch for the Carolina Hurricanes. And we'll see how they respond, which has kind of been the mantra of the season. Oh, this game has some sort of significance and importance. Let's see how they respond. That's not a bad thing, though. It's not. This isn't incite the panic time. This is, let's kick it to next year time. Answer to the trivia question. Yeah, excuse me. Let me try that again. Answer to the trivia question tonight for you. The last Carolina Hurricanes player to wear the number 59 was Chad LaRose. Played for the Hurricanes a handful of seasons ago, active in the community, fan favorite, smaller guy, gritty player, wasn't afraid to go take on guys that had six and seven inches on him. Really just kind of played the game differently in the best way possible. Um, but the strange thing about Chad LaRose is not a lot of people know what happened to him. Did not show up for his exit interview, tried to make a resurgence in Charlotte that did not see him get back into the NHL. And since then, has kind of faded from the memory of Hurricanes fans. Um, one of those guys that, uh, and I know that Matt and Ford have, have their guys they talk about, kind of fits back into that Mike Zygamanis, Ryan Beta, Scott Pellerin, Yaroslav Svoboda category of guys that made differences while they were here. But when you think of great Hurricanes and great Hurricane teams, those are the guys that if you're trying to name a team from a certain year that you're going to forget... And then when you hear it, you go, oh, yeah. So, interesting piece of trivia for you tonight. We'll have another one for you tomorrow as the Hurricanes take on the Washington Capitals, 7.30 p.m. from PNC Arena. We'll be back on air after this one. Until then, this has been the Bar Southeast Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Blevins. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>